The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep, and open up about women's health. Hello, and welcome everyone to this week's episode of The Fanny Mechanic Show. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash, and this episode is proudly brought to you by City Fertility, global leaders in fertility and IVF. This week, we dive into the topic of libido with the mojo mechanic. We go deep with naturopath Vashti Divine. Vashti opens up about how we can keep that sexy spark plug firing. I ask her lots of questions, especially about food and herbal medicines and their role in sexual vitality. Vashti Divine is an expert naturopath, libido liberator, and mojo mechanic with over 20 years experience in the health and wellness industry. Along with seeing clients in private practice, Her career has seen her working as a consultant for some of Australia's best nutraceutical supplement brands and also as a prescribing naturopath at a leading medical institute for sexual dysfunction. Through her own personal experiences of being rattled by life's challenges, she appreciates the complexity that is libido, which from her perspective should be addressed holistically. This had led her to developing unique and integrated personalized programs to help individuals to access and switch on their libido or mojo. As a wife and mother to three growing teens, her interests include practicing love languages, enjoying time in nature, and collecting crystals and rocks. Vashi Devine says, Real and lasting health comes through first being informed, then being inspired to take action, thereby realizing for ourselves our own body's limitless potential for health, wellness and energy. I hope you enjoy our Fanny Mechanic Mojo Mechanic chat. Vashti Divine, the Mojo Mechanic, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Natasha. It's awesome. Really, really fantastic to be here. Thank you. I just love the last name, your last name and the Mojo Mechanic, but what does Vashti mean? Is there a a significance between behind Vashti? Um, So Vashti is the name of a Persian queen. I was named after a a biblical character, someone um, that was many, many years ago, but has a beautiful story behind her. And, um, you know, there are some people that say that she was one of the first feminists. Um, But I don't don't necessarily uh, relate to that myself. It's just I just feel that um, sometimes there are people in life that have the smallest of smallest parts and they can actually have a really big impact. So um, that name is something that I I cherish and I hold proudly. And how about the Mojo Mechanic? How did you come up with that? Well, actually, um, I was really inspired by this idea of spark. Like, what is it within us that gets our joy happening? What gets our um, inspiration and that that spark of life, I guess? And I was just playing with ideas around spark and this idea of a spark plug. And my husband's a bit of a um, a tinkerer, you know, so he gets into the engines and working on mechanics and all of that. And I guess it's something that we came up together because we were talking about, um, you know, this idea of um, a spark plug. It started from there. <laughs> so what and does the Mojo Mechanic do? 
So as a mojo mechanic, um, I'm a naturopath myself and um, I work with people to help fine-tune their health, to reclaim their sparks, that's getting their energy going, and um, to liberate their libido. Mm -hmm. So in my opinion, you know, our libido is something that, you know, is within us and it's certainly personal for everybody but it's something that we can kind of fan the flames of. It's not like, you know, it just gets switched on and switched off at certain points of our life. And I know that that's um, something that's uh, considered, um, you know, a lot of us come to accept that that's just the way it is. Um, and I guess I'm really trying to inspire people to to see that it's something that as we age, we can actually um, just keep fanning those flames. <laughs> I love it. But you wouldn't want mm. flames near a spark plug, would you? <laughs> Wow, some interesting things can happen. Yeah, sure. <laughs> can I? Um, okay, well, let's go into it straight away. I, I had a, a couple the other day who um, have been together for a number of years, mm. a good relationship, um, having unprotected sex for a number of years, but only recently decided that they wanted to really concentrate on having sex at the right time of the cycle to conceive. Mm. They're a mm. bit concerned because they've been having a lot of unprotected sex but still haven't fallen pregnant. Mm. And then uh, both of them on their patient history forms had filled in that they have low libido, that they just, when mm. it comes to the time to have sex to mm. conceive for purposes of mm. conception, they were both a bit eh. And, um, yeah, how would you approach that couple? <laughs> Yeah, well, you see, libido is really, really interesting, Tash, because, um, you know, it, it, it can be very much a state of mind. So when you're thinking about that whole idea around conception and that pressure to conceive and you've got the family pressures that are around that and you've got this idea that you've got to be checking the calendar all the time and making sure the temperatures are okay, and those sorts of pressures can really um, put a dampener on things, let's face it. So, um, you know, Libido, um, you know, it's not something that can't really be measured. I mean, the World Health Organization actually does acknowledge that it's a state of physical, emotional, mental and social well-being related to our sexuality and the way that we relate to others. But it's very, very hard to measure. And um, ultimately, we do know that there are lots of things that are at play that are going to affect our libido and how we feel to, you know, and how, how we feel towards our partner and our sexual desire. And that pressure, it's not really going to help, is it? So how do you begin to break down why people have issues with libido? Obviously, it's very different for, for men and for women. So if we start with mm. her, so a woman mm. has a low libido. Uh, yes. One thing I often do before they leave the office is recommend them two things, generally speaking. One, I recommend them um, to read Dr. Rosie King's book, Where Did My Libido Go? Because I really like that mm -hmm. book. And mm -hmm. to visit um, a really cool uh, adult store in Newtown called Max Black. Uh -huh. uh, just two simple nice. things for them to go and do. But because I'm obviously not a sex therapist and I, mm. I, I don't have an hour or two hours to dedicate towards dissecting the libido, mm. but what are a, f a few tips for, for someone like me uh, to be able to kind of realise what the underlying issues could be? 
Mm, yeah. Well, I think it's often um, thought that hormones have the biggest part to play. So, um, you know, if a, a woman's presenting and obviously she, she's having some fertility issues and also libido is going to be affected as part of that, she may have been on um, contraceptives for many years as well, which also um, are going to affect um, hormones and libido too. Um in actual fact, we're starting to understand now that hormones, again, are just such a small part of a complex puzzle. And I think you're absolutely on the right track to be able to um, give some supportive reading and also um, getting them to sort of be a little bit more playful. And you know, going and looking in a sex store or exploring um, sexuality just that little bit further, taking the thought away from we have to do it and we have to do it now and we have to get the sperm and the egg together and we have to make a baby. A big part of our libido and getting all of our juices flowing is feeling playful and fun and creative. And I'm pretty sure you may have heard of similar experiences where, you know, couples may have been trying for many, many years, trying consistently to have a baby and doing all the right things and having sex at the right time. And it's exactly when they've stopped thinking about it <laughs> that they've ended up falling pregnant because they've given up and they've gone, oh, to hell with this, we'll just have sex when we feel like it. And funnily enough, it happens over um, a, a glass of champagne or two or three or four <laughs> after a good fun night out sometimes. So would you would you agree with that? Yeah, look, I think stress has a big role to play and uh, especially for men because, you know, erectile dysfunction is very much connected to stress, whereas women really, we can technically lie there you know, and mm -hmm, just take mm -hmm. it really, we can. But men mm -hmm. have to really get it up, get it in, get it all going. And sure. uh, for, I find for, for men it can be a, a bit more distressing than for women. Um, for I sure. certainly find that for women in their in their menopausal phase of their of their lives, not this is not all women but some women actually lose their libido and they actually don't care. They're very happy mm -hmm. not to have mm -hmm. a sex drive. They are um, almost relieved but for many other women, it's still very important for them. So I actually think it's it's more about what's important for the couple, what's important exactly. for that person rather than what does society say I have to do? There's no mm -hmm. reason why we all have to be horny all the time or horny at all, really, like at yeah. the end of the day. But, yeah, if baby making is pretty important, he needs to get it up, get it in. She needs to be, you know, kind of uh, uh, warm to that as well. Willing. Then we, we're willing. We need to work on that. So, yeah, um, yeah we're going to talk about some supplements a bit later on. Mm -hmm. But um, what do you think works for couples like this most effectively? Well, it's very important for them to understand. I feel like when we're when we understand and we've been educated then there's that little bit of oh, that relief of there's not something wrong with me because there's such a suite of hormones at play, like you were describing before when it comes to stress, for example. You've got things like your oxytocin and dopamine in our brain, which can have a whole body response as well, and that can be a something as simple as just starting with lots and lots of cuddles, which can get our oxytocin flowing, doing a lot of that before we even get to sex. Um, you know, and then if we have certain nutrients that we're deficient in, um, you know, cortisol production from our adrenal glands is going to be affected, thyroid hormones, which, you know, all about how we feel and our energy and metabolism, they can be thrown out. But then there's also simple things like 
blood sugar. And our blood sugar regulating hormones like you know, insulin that's re- released at different times of the day and it's designed to keep our energy production in peak flow. And when I say energy, I also mean mood. So, you know, there are certain people, me included, who know full well if they don't have a snack in their handbag or their glove box, like bitch mama comes out. (laughs) (laughs) So all of these hormones, they're all coursing through our body in and around our cells all at the same time in a symphony. And the body kind of has to work out where to place each of these hormones at the right time, where to deal the cards, so to speak. So, you know, the slightest thing really can stuff up the game. And, you know, that can be the obvious things like, you know, an impactful and stressful life situation. Um, It might be hormone changes that happen with age. It could be having a baby. And then there's also things like losing a baby. So someone that's had, you know, multiple miscarriages, for example, is going to feel really hesitant about on some level, maybe that next time that they fall pregnant and, you know, maybe feeling unconfident in their body after pregnancy or after weight gain or having a mastectomy or some surgery of some kind. Um, And then, you know, you can get to a stage as well where you've got a toddler still sleeping in the bed with you and that's going to affect your mood and your libido essentially. So we need to look at it from a bigger, broader picture and, yes, get um, listening to the person that's in front of us. And I think, honestly, Tash, um, you know, you're very holistic in your approaches and just spending the time to chat to those individuals sitting in front of you and listening to what's going on for them. Although you're saying, oh, I don't have two hours to spend with them, I can guarantee you now the smallest, slightest conversation because of your approaches and the way that you um, are at least engaging on that level and allowing that conversation to happen, it is allowing for your patients to walk away and go, you know what, we've got a book that we can go and have a read of or we've got a store we can check out or let's just take the pressure off ourselves for a little bit. And it's it can be those small, small things that can make a big difference. That's true. I mean, asking a simple question like, um, is sex fun? You know, <laughs> do you look forward to it? And, yeah. uh, you know, I suppose, do you do you recommend things like date nights, you know, and even sex texting during the day? you know, um, or in the days in the lead up to the event. Uh, Do you talk about that much with your your clients? Yeah, well, the interesting thing is, is that, um, you know, and going back to blood sugar again, um, talking about the Chinese body clock, like the kidney, the kidney organ meridian system is is fed or energised at around three o'clock in the afternoon. And that's typically the time that people get a really big drop in energy when they're feeling really low, where they go for the sugary snacks and the chocolate and the energy drinks. And unfortunately, what ends up happening is that we're getting a boost at three o'clock and then not long after that, we're crashing again around six o'clock. We're dragging our feet in the door. We're rushing into, you know, the the grind of making dinner and getting family ready for bed or whatnot. And we're usually having a few glasses of wine at that time and putting ourselves to sleep on the sofa or um, rolling into bed after half a bottle that we intended was only going to be a glass. And this can be a really big mood killer. So we do need to, to be starting to think about what we would like to happen later in the evening, um, earlier in the day, yes, mm. <laughs> and preparing a little bit for that. I was reading in a Chinese medicine book that um, depending 
on the time of day people are more likely to get pregnant when they have sex depending on the time of day mm-hmm. um you know whether you have sex at night or in the morning have you come across anything like that in your practice or in your literature yeah, reading? yeah. so um i'm always been quite fascinated by the um the conception meridian line is that what it's called runs from the very very top of the head right it comes out in the perineum so it runs from the top of the head goes straight through the body comes out the perineum and this center or this meridian is activated around 7 to 9 p.m at night and this is definitely the juiciest time for us to have those organs along that meridian system which include our reproductive organs um, really lit up and energized and in the mood. Seven to so, nine PM. That's pretty inconvenient for most couples, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> if they if they if they have kids, if they don't have kids, but even then, if you don't have kids, seven to nine PM. Exactly. A lot of people exactly. are busy during those times. Mm. So we have to plan for these things, you know. And sometimes planning it takes the fun out of it, and we get a little bit like, oh, if I have to plan for it, then it's not fun, and I can't be bothered, and I don't want it. But you know what? When we put an intention out there that there's something that's important to us and there's something that we want and there's something that we'd like to have more of in our life, it's amazing the obstacles that we can overcome in the same way that if we want to lose a little bit of weight, it's not fun to cut back on our chocolate and our red wine and it's not fun to be sweating it out in the gym. But if we want the results, then we do need to to be thinking about these things and actually making some changes because it's those kind of changes that can, you know, really um, turn things around for us. So it's not convenient, being, you know, being healthy and, and wanting a good life sometimes isn't convenient. But once we get there, we go, oh, I'm so glad I made this change. I'm so glad I got into bed and all snuggly and cuddly with the person I love instead of um, fighting the whole next day because we haven't had sex. <laughs> So you as a naturopath obviously have a, a lot of in-depth knowledge, which I'm very jealous about, uh, in regards to supplements uh, and nutrition, herbs. Um, shall mm-hmm. we go through a little list of supplements and, and herbs for um, our speakers? Yeah. Our, our, sorry, speakers. Yeah. Our listeners. Um, cause, Absolutely. Cause, yeah, this is an area where, that I'm fascinated by and mm-hmm. – um, mm-hmm. You mentioned their chocolate and wine and, yeah, from a naturopathic perspective, dark chocolate. Tell me about mm-hmm. that. What does naturopathic medicine say about dark chocolate well, and libido? Well, I wouldn't say necessarily it's a naturopathic medicine per se. And, I, and again, things like this, Tash, it's like we have to um, take out, um, you know, there, there hasn't always been a lot of, human studies that have been done on certain nutrients, herbs or foods, but there may have been some animal studies or observational studies. But what we do know is that, yeah, there are chemical constituents within chocolate, which essentially is a herb when you think of it. It comes from a plant and there's these chemical constituents or phytonutrients, phytochemicals that um, are known to increase our endorphins. So these are our feel-good hormones. And if we're feeling good, then we're likely to think happy thoughts. And if we've got happy thoughts, we're likely to be nicer and friendlier and smilier to people. And (laughs) certainly um, it can have a positive effect on, on our relationship. But if we eat too much chocolate, that's not a good thing either because, you know, obviously that you can lead to... You mean you can't to... have enough chocolate in the bedroom? 
Well, that's different. Chocolate <laughs> in the bedroom, that's a teaser and a taster. But, um, you know, someone taking that to the nth degree and saying, oh, if I eat more chocolate, I'll be happier. Um, but then they may put on weight and then obviously not be happy. Well, there's a catch-22 there, isn't it? So it's all about balance, but it's also about the fact that um, part of the ooze and the seduction with chocolate is that it's yummy and it tastes yummy and it makes us feel yummy. And if we feel yummy, we're turned on, we're stimulated, we're relaxed. And if we're relaxed, we're more in the mood. And, you know, something as simple as a warm bath can make us feel like that too. So it's just, um, you know, putting it into context, I guess, which is really important. Um, you know, that people tout uh, certain foods like uh uh, oysters, for example, and oysters, while they're high in zinc, and zinc's very important for producing sex hormones like testosterone and has been shown to, you know, lead to um, increased sperm motility and sperm count, it's more than likely that the aphrodisiac effects of oysters is more to do with the seductive sliminess of the oyster and the fact that we're eating the oyster with champagne a lot of the time and feeding it to our lover mm. <laughs> in a really romantic setting because we don't eat oysters every day. It's only special occasions. You know, we don't we haven't studied what where the aphrodisiac effect is coming from, but more than likely it's um, a combination of those things when it comes to foods like that. It's true because you don't really eat oysters on the run, do you? It's not like no. I have I have a, an hour's lunch break. I'm going to go and have a plate of oysters. Yeah, it doesn't oh, really work that way. Oh, that would be a fun lunch though. Yeah. <laughs> um, ashwagandha yeah. is the first off of my list. Mm-hmm. Tell us about ashwagandha. So ashwagandha, or otherwise known as withania, um, is a really wonderful relaxant. So it's really lovely for the nervous system. It's a nervous system tonic. And again, um, when someone's feeling really fried and wired, um, you know, having something that's going to help them to relax. So it could be something that someone's using on a daily basis just to help to keep their stress on an even keel, so to speak. And, um, you know, ultimately, withania is also a wonderful adaptogenic herb. And so what that means is that we just have that little bit more resilience or bounce when stressful situations come along, we're less likely to throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> so, you know, st- a stressful situation could be, you know, slamming our finger in the door or burning our toast. It could be having an argument with our partner too. But the way that we respond to that stressful event, you know, we can fly off the handle, burn the toast in the morning, speed demon down the road to get to work, you know, um, get a ticket, you know, things can just go get worse and worse and worse. And obviously, um, you know, all of our interactions during that day are going to be very, very highly strung. And the outcomes of conversations that we have may not be, you know, in a positive direction. We're more likely to get angered easily and, um, you know, fly off the handle. So if we're, you know, there are some beautiful supportive herbs like withania, ashwagandha, which are known to just help to moderate and um, improve our resilience to stress. Mm. Okay, so that sounds like a little bit more, a little bit more stretch to the rubber band. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Mm. And uh, how about chase tree? Uh, Chase tree for, I, I know its importance in 
balancing female hormones, supporting progesterone production, does it play a role in supporting libido? Um, well, I think that anything that helps to helps to modulate um, hormones will have some effect on libido, and we know that chase trees having that effect on the um, pituitary gland, and it's helping to stimulate. It's known to stimulate ovulation. So when we ovulate, we are in our peak phase of um, fertility, and um, it's when when our libido is going to be at the peak as well. Thanks to testosterone so, being up at that time in our cycle. Yeah, yeah. But when you think about it on a base level, um, chase tree is really wonderful for helping a woman to manage PMT type symptoms. So if you're going to be narky and cranky, particularly around PMT time and something like chase tree can help, you can imagine the amount of arguments that you can quell just purely for the fact that you're kind of riding a bit more on that even keel and not um, getting so emotionally drawn in or upset over um, things that are done or said or spilt milk or and we can all relate to this right when uh, when we're having a moody PMT type moment and how you know that can either be something that's you know for some women that don't struggle as much with PMT or are using beautiful herbs like chase tree you know, it may be just a subtle part of the day when they're um, got that little bit of PMT that kicks in and then it sort of levels out and they're feeling great uh, for the rest of the cycle. And then there's women that have that PMT coursing and raging and creating chaos for a good week before their period. And um, it's certainly um, going to, yeah, be um, limiting. Yeah, and I suppose there's a cultural thing there, isn't there? And again, I was reading a Chinese medicine book written by a Chinese medicine doctor, female, uh, who practices in Canada. And she said that before she moved to Canada as a Chinese medicine doctor, she'd never heard of PMS or PMT before because Mm. uh, it's not really maybe a a Chinese thing so much to talk about maybe your um, low moods or irritability, but also mm-hmm. the interpretation of what happens to you in that second half. And I mm-hmm. think understanding what happens menstrually can maybe help you accept the fact that, you know what, in the second half of my cycle, I am going to be maybe be more down, more moody, more irritable. But it's mm-hmm. not necessarily necessarily a bad thing that I even need to do anything about. But as you said earlier, there are some people who have extreme you know, mood disturbance, mm-hmm. irritability, where things do need to um, be mm. addressed. And, yes, mm-hmm. I think herbs can help so much. Um, mm. How about fenugreek? Well, this What's is fenugreek? an interesting one because um, it's not one that I would traditionally think of, but I'm wondering if you've got some insight on fenugreek. None at all. I don't know anything about fenugreek. (laughs) Um, So fenugreek, from my experience as a herbalist, is something that I would use actually um, for sinusitis. And um, it's very good for opening um, the sinus passages and if someone's getting a lot of congestion going on. Um, I'm guessing that, you know, it's a a studied it's a studied link that the tissue, the the um, erectile tissue that's in with, within the nose is actually the same tissue that's within um, the penis and, and, and the clitoris. So maybe there's this traditional use of using fenugreek to help um, with libido, but I wouldn't, um, that, I, that I would very much use that for sinusitis. Mm. So 
Very interesting. Mm. And ginkgo. Ginkgo is where's a that, where's, where's ginkgo come from? Oh, ginkgo, there's a traditional Japanese tree that's got that beautiful ginkgo leaf that if you look, if you take the, the image of the ginkgo leaf, it actually looks like a brain. And so ginkgo is um, a herb that we do know helps to support blood flow to the whole cerebrum, to the, the brain, and it will help with memory loss and ageing-related um, memory loss and it's an antioxidant. So the interesting thing about ginkgo is that um, the story of the ginkgo tree is that it is the only surviving, it was the only surviving tree in the city of Hiroshima when the atom bomb went off. Wow. Yeah, and I think that tree is still standing now and it's hundreds and hundreds of years old. And this is how potent the antioxidants are within ginkgo that something like this living tree that where everything else was obliterated, um, it's the only living thing that survived. So, so that's it's, pretty it's Japanese origin. Does it only grow in mm-hmm. Japan or is it elsewhere? I'm actually not sure. Oh. <laughs> but I, I know that you could buy a ginkgo plant or a tree, mm. you know, obviously here, but, um, it, yeah, it's most well known in Asia. Mm. So mm. ginkgo, good for libido? Um, look, in the fact that it's going to help you to um, think and with cognitive functioning, and as I was saying before, things that drive libido aren't necessarily directly related to hormones. Ginkgo helps with circulation in general, so there's that link in with, well, perhaps it's going to be helping with supporting circulation to our nether regions. But I do know ginkgo to be primarily um, a herb that, that's very good for brain circulation, so getting blood flow to the head. Um, however, having said that, it really depends on the individual. So you can imagine, um, you know, someone that's, um, you know, really struggling with remembering things at the end of the day, like going and picking up the milk that their partner asked them to, to mm-hmm. collect on the way home. If things like that are going to, if, you know, be affecting day-to-day relations, relationships and, you know, when you go to the fridge and you can't remember what the hell's in there, mm. what, what was I going to get? Losing your keys, forgetting your handbag, um, you know, those sorts of things, then, you know, yeah, that can definitely improve mood and outlook and potentially help libido in that in that way. Ginseng. Mm. Mm. Which ginseng are you referring to? Because I know Tat? there's what Korean, there's, Cy- yeah. there's Siberian, then there exactly. is the American. Yes. Tell us about those. Ah, yes. So so many types of ginsengs, and ginseng in um, in China and Chinese medicine, very revered herb because there is just so many of them. And you know, you would think ginseng is, there a, is, is there a Chinese ginseng. Uh, so Korean ginseng, there's a Panax Well, they're all Chinese ginsengs. They mm. just have different names. Mm. But um, Panax ginseng is probably the most well-known um, sexual stimulant. And it's thought that it has its action by increasing nitric oxide synthesis. Mm. So we know sure that we need can, to get erectile tissue yeah, to happen. Exactly. And so that goes you know, lots of studies that have been done on nitric oxide in um, erectile function function in men, but we've got to remember that clitoris is made of the same tissue and this potentially is going to be assisting um, in female um, 
climax and and libido too. So um, there you go. Good one so to think of. Panax ginseng. What's the other name for that? Is it American? Um, Is it Siberian? Because I, I I only know them by their um the. Common names, yeah. yeah. I believe that Panax ginseng is just Panax ginseng. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, you've got your Korean and maybe it's the Chinese one. Maybe okay. it's Chinese ginseng. But actually one of my all-time favourite ginsengs, and it's considered the king of ginsengs in Chinese medicine, it's actually called Tianchi ginseng. Tianchi. Yeah, and what I love about Tianchi ginseng and all the ginsengs you know, they all help with energy and they all help with stamina and feeling good, um, but they all have a different quality. Um, and what Tianchi Ginseng does is it's been traditionally used to help promote circulation and healthy blood flow. So it is one that as a herbalist, I like to put in mixes for men that are experiencing libido and erectile dysfunction, usually because they have concomitant blood pressure and metabolic type syndrome and that's a beautiful herb that helps um helps with that because it helps to reduce um you know oxidative effects of those inflammatory diseases so it's not contraindicated in patients or men with blood pressure issues or cardiac issues um so it would be dependent on the individual i guess this is why it's really important to bear in mind that um you know they any any sort of herbal medicine or complementary medicine used therapeutically, you know, shouldn't be self-prescribed. That a herbalist is trained to understand um, interactions with certain medications. Not everybody who's on blood pressure is going blood who has blood pressure is going to be on blood pressure medication. It depends on the extent, and it depends on the unique case. Um, obviously, a trained herbalist and um, complementary medicine practitioner is going to be monitoring a patient. They're going to be prescribing and checking in and getting that patient to come back. So it's going to be, um, you know, dependent on on a few different variables. But um, it actually hasn't been studied to be able to say yes, yay or nay. We don't know if there are any contraindications because we haven't lined up 100 men or women on blood pressure medication and given them Tianchi ginseng to see what the effects are. But we, as um, you know, qualified practitioners that want to do the right thing by our patients, we need to check these things, have these conversations, be mindful, and certainly you know use caution. Yeah, I know licorice increases people's blood pressure. A uh, licorice mm-hmm. supplement, but it yes. would depend on how much of that supplement I assume. So a little bit of licorice in a supplement is that going to really tip someone's blood pressure over? If someone is on blood pressure medication, which is often yes. something I see, and then yes. they, a, a supplement that has a little bit of licorice, mm. is that a bad thing? Um, again. A qualified practitioner needs to be checking in, needs to be monitoring, and it would be very dependent on the individual. Licorice is contraindicated in blood pressure, so there is a definite, um, I guess, warning in place that the TGA gives us, um, and we use that as a guideline. So um, it it would really depend on the individual, but I have seen um, people who are on blood pressure medication that have a tendency for high blood pressure with just the smallest amount of licorice have issues, So, and then other people not. So it's really dependent, and um, we need to use caution, and especially when the TGA tells us that um, it's contraindicated. Yeah, I'll never forget years ago I had a patient who um, had high blood pressure and 
I was taking a history from her and I was asking her what, you know, how much coffee she drinks. And she's, oh, no, no coffee, but I have a lot of licorice, licorice tea. Mm. And, um, and then I did a bit of a search on licorice and then I did the search and then licorice came up, blood pressure. And I'm like, oh, wow, maybe it's a licorice tea. Yes. And then I got her to stop the licorice tea and guess what? Her blood pressure normalized. And, yes. But she was drinking a lot of it and she must have had mm-hmm. a nice or a good quality licorice tea too. Um, mm-hmm. So that was the first time I'd, I'd ever yeah, seen that. And um, I mm-hmm. thought sometimes it's it's also the licorice that people eat because, you know, there's that Dutch licorice mm-hmm. um, that people love um, and that often has salt uh, in it. Yes. So sometimes it's also what comes with the licorice. Um, how about Well, we garlic? need to ask these questions, don't we? And mm. it's spending the time to really find out. Mm. And, um, yeah, and it's the old, you know, it's the old dosterone. It's raised oh, with, yeah. with licorice. Okay. But not, not all licorice lollies have real licorice in them, so be aware of that too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I'm a licorice lover, so, oh, God, licorice with chocolate, man, bingo, mm-hmm. bring it on. Okay. Um, <laughs> now garlic. Garlic yeah, and libido, well, garlic, do those two go together? Well, well that's going to force your partner away a little bit, isn't it? You've got garlic bread. <laughs> Unless they like garlic themselves. Garlic prawns and garlic bread for dinner. Um, so garlic does help with lowering, we know that there are effects with lowering cholesterol and improving uh, cardiovascular markers. And for someone, you know, we, we know that it's around 50% incidence of men who have um, metabolic syndrome, cholesterol, diabetes, blood pressure um, that have erectile dysfunction. So there is that link. Garlic's not going to have a direct effect on libido, but when you consider um, that there are these known links and that garlic might support someone with garlic, um, and I'm talking therapeutic garlic, by the way, I'm talking about a supplement that's got an active therapeutic amount of allicin, which is actually really hard to get in a, in a therapeutic supplement. There are one or two that I know of, one actually. Um, and having the right amount of that therapeutic and also um, taking it uh, therapeutically as opposed to just having it chopped up in food because when you chop garlic or cook with garlic, you actually release that active constituent allicin. It evaporates into thin air. So it doesn't have the same effects as taking it therapeutically or being prescribed it medicinally. How about if you but eat if, garlic raw? Like one of my friend's fathers, mm-hmm. she he just eats garlic raw, you just have like to. an apple. That's how yes. it, that, that, yeah. that would be much better for someone who has issues with blood pressure maybe. All of it. Yes. Now, I guess it's hard to kind of measure, um, you know, where the garlic was placed, where it was grown, where it came from, because it's going to alter the amount of active chemical constituents within the garlic. So one that's grown, you know, on this side of Australia or on the other side of the world is going to have different chemical constituents. And I guess we need to understand, appreciate this when it comes to herbal medicine, that when we use herbs therapeutically, while it's great to use garlic in your cooking or actually to eat it raw because it actually has real amazing benefits for our gut bacteria as well um, because it's a prebiotic food. Um, While it's good to eat these things as part of a normal varied diet, when we're talking about therapeutic active constituents of herbs, we need to be a little bit specific sometimes, particularly when it comes to supporting chronic health conditions, how much are we actually dosing um, daily 
and at what amount and what does research tell us is the optimal amount. And, you know, chewing on garlic once or twice a day, again, depending on where it's has it come from China, has it come from Argentina, is it Australian grown, They're go- it's going to have very, very different chemicals within. So, um, but of course, yeah, absolutely. Eat a varied diet, get lots of herbs, lots of herbs, lots of parsley, basil, garlic, um, all the good stuff, rosemary. Uh, just as part of a normal healthy eating diet, we're going to be delivering lots of antioxidants and nutrients into our diet that way. Go for your life. Um, but raw garlic, yes, that's the best way to take it for therapeutic effects because we're not losing the potent allicin, but it's going to chase uh, family and friends away with the smell. <laughs> and our partners are not going to want to kiss us. And kissings are probably one of the best parts of sex. So <laughs> we don't want too much of that. <laughs> How about hawthorn? Mm, so Hawthorne, again, um, and we're not talking not about a, a suburb of Melbourne, people. We're talking about a herb, <laughs> a herb, little red berry. Um, so not a direct effect on libido, but it's a beautiful cardiac tonic herb. And um, some would say traditionally it's thought of as as a heart warmer. So um, again, with this link between um, you know erectile dysfunction and cardiovascular disease, potentially help you know helping as a tonic, a cardiovascular tonic might have some effect on overall circulation. Um, where did you get this list from, Dr. Tash? <laughs> I kind of just randomly look things up because I, I, I know I'll eventually get to your um, your list, but I just wanted to yeah. go through this list because it's I thought it's yeah. a nice way of learning about herbs in general. Yes. Uh, yes, yes. And, you know, to know that it's not a direct mechanism sometimes that, um, you it's know, true. helps helps with libido, that sometimes it's and often is indirect, like getting your heart health up to speed and all of that. Exactly. Um, exactly. Holy basil. I've heard amazing things I about the holy basil herb. Holy basil. So holy basil, the other name for it, the traditional Ayurvedic name is Tulsi. Mm, Tulsi, and, Tulsi tea. Okay. Tulsi tea. And, and um, really interesting story about holy basil or sacred basil, it's often called, is that every family, and I haven't been to India, but this is just a story that I've heard about basil, holy basil and um, how it makes me feel when I think of that herb, is that every family in India has um, this sacred plant at their front door and um, as you're walking into somebody's house, like it's tradition to either pick the leaves or to um, brush past the plant as you're going in, sort of like a, a little bit of a blessing as you're coming into the house. And it smells delightful as well. And often um, families will um, make um, tea from the fresh leaves from the plant that they've got at the front door, which I think is just a beautiful way of welcoming people into your home but also in that welcoming there's a sense of community around that when we've got community around us we feel happy and healthy and it does promote a feel-good vibe but we do know that holy basil is um or tulsi is such a beautiful herb for mood so i tell that story because um that's exactly how Tulsi can make us feel if we've ever tried it or taken it or used it in a supplement. It makes us feel really relaxed and at ease and kind of gives us a sense of peace or calm, um, calm within. So, um, yeah, and the fact that traditionally that's how that herb is applied 
just as a culinary herb, as in, you know, we're cooking it up and we're eating with it or making tea out of it. But it certainly has that capacity as a um, as a nerve, nervous system tonic to just make us feel really nice and relaxed. And we all need a little bit of that, don't we? Mm. So the stuff that we can buy at Woolies and Coles, the Tulsi teas would cut it, you reckon? Again, as an everyday food, great. Go for your life. Drink as much beautiful herbal tea as you possibly can because herbal tea encourages us to increase our fluid intake. Um, and certainly, you know, there are some benefits um, to, to, to just having the dried herb like that. Therapeutically, you know, if someone's been really struggling with um, mood and low energy and um, you know, feeling really down for a long time, you know, there's probably some deeper um, things at play and potentially they may need to take that herb at a therapeutic dosage. And again, getting the constituents, getting the chemical constituents just right. Um, quality therapeutic supplements, practitioner-only supplements, you know, they take these sorts of things into account. It's not just a, a hogwash of bits and pieces and things that taste good. But um, definitely if we're doing something on a daily basis and when you think about it, sitting down and making a beautiful pot of tea from leaves as we come home of an afternoon and we're walking home, you know, or come home from work and leaving the stresses behind of the day to go into a little bit of a ritual to actually make a pot of tea Where's the calm coming from? Is it coming from the tea or is it coming because we've slowed down and we haven't just dunked a tea bag in and thrown it out? We've actually made a pot of tea and we've sat down to enjoy it and we're going to savour it and it's going to smell amazing and we're going to feel that sense of calm that comes with that. Where's the benefit? Is it the tea or is it the the Mm. ritual? (laughs) So we can't can't say if that's an answer to your question. We can't say. But, um, yeah. Now, the next one is, a, I understand, a chemical constituent of tomatoes, so mm-hmm, not really mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. herb per se, yeah. um, but quite a lot of this. An antioxidant. Yeah, yeah. lycopene. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, there's quite a lot of this um, in the literature for, especially for sperm health and um, male fertility mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. getting it in kind of uh, concentrated tomato paste. Um, uh, do you have any experience of that with well, with men like a peen and tomatoes and tomato paste, tomato concentrate? Yeah, well, it's certainly, again, a very good thing to be incorporating as part of a healthy eating diet. And you would think that um, when it comes to this very important um, antioxidant, lycopene, especially for men, like you said, increasing sperm count and actually has been shown to help with things like prostate issues as well, um, you would think that having as much fresh tomato in your diet as you possibly can would be really, really helpful then. But lycopene actually is concentrated in the paste and the sauces and um, things that you wouldn't consider. You, you would think that it would be the fresh stuff that would be the best. But in, in the case of lycopene, getting the deep, deepest, darkest, reddest tomato paste you can is going to have higher amounts and certainly purchasing it as a therapeutic supplement or being prescribed as a supplement is going to have more of a therapeutic effect but we know that the action of lycopene comes from the fact that it is helping to convert prevent the conversion of testosterone to dehydrate testosterone and dehydrated testosterone we know if we have if men have elevated levels it leads to um, symptoms of male andropause and hair loss and um, low libido and low energy um, so keeping 
um, healthy amounts of testosterone, but in the right forms. I didn't know that about so, lycopene. So it actually does. Yeah, yeah right. It, it, it influences testosterone to DHT. Yeah, that's right. right. So it prevents the conversion to the unhealthy testosterone. So we're supposed men should be converted. If any gets converted to the dehydrated testosterone, it should be, um, you know, taken out of the body as soon as possible and processed in the liver and um, dumped. But in some men, it's they're converting far too much to the dehydrate dehydrated testosterone and not um, eliminating it properly either. So lycopene will prevent, it will keep it in the form that's used, the most utilisable by the body. Yeah. Interesting. Is that why you, you see a lot of kind of old Italian men, they're still quite sexually <laughs> vital, you know, they're always still checking right. out women in their 80s. It's all that lycopene, right. it's all that passata they make once a year with their uh, their families. Maybe, maybe. But, you know, People of traditional cultures, Dr. Tash, they're living the best life. <laughs> they they're crushing the grapes and they're drinking the wine and they're having living their, to a hundred. <laughs> they're, they're they're mulling over world problems over cups of deep brewed coffee with their friends in the patios in the morning and you know digging in the dirt and growing their own um, veggies and things like that and that's what living a good life's about. And when we're in that flow of living that really switched on juicy enjoyable life when we're not weighed down by the burdens of the world our libido is on fire at that point so <laughs> like 100 percent, they can keep going and going for sure and is it the lycopene or is it those other things we don't mm. know no one has done the studies but it's very much an interesting talking point isn't it <laughs> a little bit of everything i say Mm. How about maca? Now, maca powder, mm. maca, there's lots of talk about maca, maca for men and maca for women. Can you tell us mm -hmm. more about maca? Mm -hmm. Well, the interesting thing is, is we know, like a lot of herbs, there's traditional evidence, but not often a lot of researched evidence. So what that means is like when we say traditional evidence, it means that for at least three generations or around 100 years, there's been documented evidence of the use of a herb for a particular condition, but it hasn't necessarily been studied to the point where we've lined up 100 people with low mood and low energy and given them maca and seen what the effects are. Um, maybe there has been some studies in animals and the studies that have been done in animals with, um, with maca is that um, it, it helps with increasing libido. So the little rats get really feisty and they're having lots of sex. But when they've tested the blood and the serum markers of those rats, their hormone levels haven't actually changed at all. <laughs> mm. So then this is like, again, there's this missing link when it comes to libido that we don't quite understand. We haven't put our finger on it yet. That is it about hormones? Mm. Probably not. It's it's actually, you know, far more um, far encompassing. So, yeah, interesting. So maca, does it do anything in particular? Like is there any definite evidence it does anything to estrogen or testosterone or we just don't really know? No, we don't know and, um, well, not anything that I've been able to come across, but what we do know is it affects and it has a positive influence on our adrenal glands and our nervous system. And, you know, again, when we're talking back, going back to that um, chemical symphony, those chemicals that have to interact with one another and they flow off a chemical ca cascade, um, all of our endocrine organs, our thyroid, our reproductive organs, our um, pancreas, our adrenal glands, all of these organs are putting off this chemical soup 
and firing them off at the right time in the right moments. And if we have low adrenal energy, uh, sorry, if we have low adrenal hormones, it will end up having a flow-on effect to our reproductive organs, to our thyroid, to our blood sugar regulator, our pancreas. And so, um, you know, there is some supportive evidence of how it's affecting cortisol, as far as I'm aware. Um, But I don't think, all they know is that they don't know, it's not actually directly impacting um, reproductive hormones, not not impacting testosterone or estrogen or anything like that. How about tribulus? Tribulus is a big one, isn't it? Yeah, yep. So that one we do know will increase um, testosterone and luteinizing hormone, and it has been shown to increase sperm count and motility as well, sperm motility. And we know that it has an effect um, on actually stimulating erectile um, tissue too. Um, But again, the exact mechanism of this, they don't actually know how it's working. They don't know the exact chemicals in there that are doing those that job. Um, but, yeah, th- those effects have been measured. So, so is tribulus more, more commonly used in men than women in the naturopathic world? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, certainly. It's definitely considered a male herb or has male qualities or has um, most benefit to men. Um, yeah. How about yeah. salt palmetto? Because I've I've mm-hmm. seen that quite a bit again, mainly for mm-hmm. men, but can also be used mm-hmm. in women. Does salt salt palmetto? Or mm. Is it is it it's a plant? Is it a plant? What is that? Yep, it is a plant. Yeah. Um, so it's a, a particular palm, and there's a, there's a fruit from that palm, and the very centre of the palm, like a red sticky, uh, yellow sticky date type thing. And um, salt salt palmetto actually has it's a, a diuretic herb, and it has an effect primarily on the prostate. So um, men that have enlarged prostates, um, you know, when when given um, this herb actually have improved effects and not going to the toilet as many times in the middle of the night and feeling, you know, proper emptying without all the dribbles and um, the discomfort that can come with a large prostate and the cellular changes that happen within the prostate as well. So that, that might be due to the... Um, the palmatic acids that are in saw palmetto, which are actually antioxidant. So it might be having that effect on helping to keep the prostate healthy because it's an antioxidant. And again, we sometimes when herbs have had years and years and years of traditional use and we know that it benefits, they haven't always had the the scientific research that has been done on it to find out exactly how and why that they elicit the effects that they do. So I guess that's, yeah, one of the interesting things about herbal medicine and why it's a little bit unique. And in terms of sulpamito and women, do, do mm. we, I think PCOS, is that is that a, 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 mm. an indication and why and when? Um, so not one that I've had personal experience with or gone to use in that kind of condition. Have you had any cases? or? I've only read about it. I've never actually... I think I may have recommended it once after a patient mm-hmm. came in and she'd actually done a literature search on it. This was a couple of years right. ago. Right. Um, but it's not something I routinely recommend only because I haven't seen, mm-hmm. you know, great evidence for it. But, yes, yes. You know. Well, we, we need to also understand that, you know, what are the driving factors in that individual patient's case and often with… Oh, her her um, case was hair loss, actually. It was hair loss. Right. 
Right. Yeah. But in, but in PCOS, obviously, what's driving it is often metabolic issues, blood sugar irregularities, um, and inflammations that stem from that, mm-hmm. and using herbs and nutrients that are actually going to work on the you know helping to support what's driving the condition. So more things like cinnamon, which help with mm. um, regulating the cycle and help with regulating blood sugar. Um, myonositol, you know, those sorts of things, probably a bit more indicated, I would say. How about saffron? Say. Very expensive, but does it work for libido? Yeah, so more in terms of mood. So we know that there are some significant benefits, and this is one that has been studied quite a bit actually. We know that there are some, and this is not the cooking culinary saffron that I'm talking about, although um, it has had thousands of years of use in traditional medicine and um, a, as a culinary herb in, in India, um, but in, in Middle Eastern countries as well. Um, but as a herb therapeutically, it does help with, with mood and in cases of anxiety and depression um, and chronic PMT sim- symptoms. So, again, in terms of feeling good and um, it does seem to have a positive influence on um, regulating the menstrual cycle too. And, again, I don't think they really know how it's working on that level. It's just an observed effect. But, yeah, what we do know is when we're feeling good, it does inspire um, us to feel Mm. Um, relaxed and sexy that's what it's all about relaxed person (laughs) maybe sexy yeah 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 so what what are your favorite herbs for libido then I mean it doesn't sound like I've covered many of them in that little list but if you've got any any, you could share with us Vashti uh, well, that's where I yeah did mention um, the Tianchi ginseng. That's definitely a favourite of mine. But I guess um, you know it's also understanding um, you know that it's going to be individual and unique to the patient. So you know it's listening to what that patient's coming in with, what's what's been limiting their libido from their unique situation, and a lot of the time it really is stress. Um, you know, we think it's hormones, so we do all the hormonal stuff and that doesn't work and really, you know, it can be as simple as, um, you know, changing some simple things within our lifestyle to just make things a little bit easier. But um, I'm actually really fascinated by a nutrient at the moment um, called bacillopeptidase. Oh, I never heard of that one. How do you spell no, that? Bacillopeptidase. Peptidase, yeah. Bacillopeptidase. So peptidase. Mm. So it's a bacterial um, enzyme that's cleaved off uh, off a bacteria that ferments soy to make the Japanese superfood natto. Uh-huh. So in Japan, they eat this sticky, slimy soy um, f- ferment. And um, all the older people absolutely love it. And they say things like, it's good for your heart, it's good for your heart. But all the young people don't eat it because it stinks and it's slimy. And why would you? But there has been um, some studies that have been done on the bacteria that ferments the soy to make the natto, and they've found that um, this enzyme that this bacteria produces um, actually has a beneficial effect in being a um, circulatory stimulant. So it improves the microcirculation. There's been studies that have been shown that it helps to reduce things like blood pressure and also relieving neck and shoulder headaches and pain, you know, for people that are sitting for long periods of time. 
And so while um, there's been some minor studies on, um, you know, these, these things that this um, particular enzyme can benefit, we know it helps the microcirculation. Clinically, it actually has some superb effects on getting blood flow happening to all the nooks and crannies and read here the nether regions. <laughs> and so patients um, really do report some really wonderful improvements. With the, for men, it's the capacity to hold and ma maintain an erection. But for women, you know, again, we've got the same erectile tissue. It's just really teeny tiny and compact in our clitoris. And we're talking about being able to improve um, sensitivity and just more enjoyment. So, so I'm how do we get this, Fashti? How do we get this? Well, well I'm going to say I'm going to put my hand up and say I can vouch for this secret sauce myself <laughs> because um, it really does work and it's lots of fun. <laughs> but, um, you know, we just forget that, you know, it's not hormones. Sometimes, not in every case, but in so some situations it's just blood flow and stimulation. And in this day and age, I think we just get, we want everything we fast, fast food, fast takeaway. Mm. <laughs> we want fast sex. Fast addiction, and fast addiction. Exactly, and it takes a little while to warm up, you know. So if we're just enhancing um, circulation and sensitivity, then, you know, we're going to enjoy it that little bit more. If we enjoy it more, we might go back for seconds. And if we go back for seconds, that's stimulating. And when I say seconds, it might be the next day. It could be the same day. But if we're going back for seconds and we're wanting to go back there again, that's going to be stimulating different parts of our brain, lighting up our pleasure centres, improving oxytocin because there's lots of cuddles involved. If there's oxytocin flowing, we're more likely to be kissing and cuddling the next day as well and staring deeply into each other's eyes and we're more likely to want to go back there again. So it doesn't matter what end – you're probably coming to appreciate now that it doesn't matter what end of the stick you end up working from. You just start somewhere and it has a bit of a cascade domino waterfall effect and it just depends you know where, where you want to start but the idea is to get it going and keep it going <laughs> well that's the tricky thing I find knowing where to start you know what is it that you start with and I, I suppose mm -hmm. that's a very individual thing within the person and then individual within a couple um, mm -hmm. so any Absolutely. any other hot tips you wanted to share with us uh, about you know reproductive and sexual vitality when it comes to libido well, actually, on just what you said then, where do you start? Um, I just say you've got to think outside the square and you've got to start wherever you are right now. So you've got to be inspired by the little things. Just start looking for the little things, little, little, little things every day that make you smile on the inside first. doesn't have to be smiling on the outside. It could be making that beautiful pot of aromatic tea that you've made from fresh leaves that could have been a gift that someone gave you or that you specially selected from a beautiful boutique tea shop. You know, it could be walking on the grass barefoot. It could be blowing a dandelion or squishing your feet in wet sand at blowing the Blowing a dandelion, Vashti. <laughs> have you stopped to do that recently? Sorry. Dr. Tash, I'm telling you, it is so therapeutic. <laughs> I actually ran outside the other day and I mentioned it because this is exactly what I did. I ran outside the other day because I saw a dandelion that was just gently blowing in the breeze and I didn't want the wind to come up and blow the head off it. I wanted to blow it myself. I got this. We're talking light. libido. I can't laugh at the fact that you're blowing the head off a dandelion. Yes. <laughs> yes. And if we're having fun yeah. and we're laughing and that's inspiring new things. Love it. Love it. 
you know, we've got to think outside the square like that. So pretty soon it kind of has a snowball effect. You, I tell you a story like that, you're going to be smiling. You might tell someone else, <laughs> you, I swear to God, the next time you see a dandelion, you're going to pick that up and Did you're going to blow the head off that tickle? Thing. Do they tickle? Do the dandelion? I don't think they're really ticklish, are they? But then I've never really tried. So, hey, everybody, go out and see if a dandelion can tickle your partner tonight. Exactly. That's yeah, you're right. I mean, it is about finding the little things and the joy in the little things. Yes, um, yes, so yes, I, yes. Yeah, that's a, an awesome point. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put some dandelions in my in my office right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I've, I've actually got a closed Facebook group that's all about that. Okay, we tell us about your bar. closed Facebook group. How do we join so, now? How how can we invite ourselves in? Well, you can just go to the Mojo Mechanic on Facebook, look it up on Facebook, mm-hmm. and there'll be a link to join the group. And it's it's simply about that. So, um, you know, reclaiming your spark, sharing everyday little personal stories of gratitude, sharing a little picture of you blowing a dandelion. I want to see that, Dr. Tash, I want to see that. <laughs> and just like kind of musing in these things and consistently yeah. and being inspired by other people doing it because we don't stop mm. to, to smell the flowers literally yeah. or blow those so, lines. <laughs> yeah yeah so you know just starting from there that's my top tip awesome now i had some mojo mechanic questions for you mm-hmm. uh more about the mojo mechanic that is vashti divine uh which people vashti have been your biggest inspirations yeah well you know this might be a surprising one um because honestly i'd have to say they're not big, big stars. To me, it's honestly, it's like the smallest, most heartwarming synchronicities that I'm inspired by. Mm. You know, often it can just be momentary connections between people. It's all about the connection. So it could be in a shopping centre, you know, while you're waiting in line, buying your milk and sparking a conversation with someone in the line or after that feeling you get after you have a really good massage or, um, you know, it could be the person that you sit next to on the bus or at the park. And I just think that sometimes it's just that little connection, that little spark that's all, can be all that's needed to create that mm. just big that big idea, that big fire in you. Mm. It's just one look, one uplifting comment, one opportunity that leads to another. And I have to say, Dr. Tash, meeting people like you, <laughs> being invited to come on your show when I'm still at the very beginning stages of, of la- launching this business is a really great example. And I'm um, you know, that was a wonderful synchronicity. So thank you. Oh, <laughs> That's an Thanks for coming on and sharing all these things about <laughs> dandelions with us, man. This is awesome. <laughs> I love that. And, that, and you know, that that for me tells me that you obviously, you're, you're getting daily inspirations then, aren't you? Mm-hmm. You're, you're not really waiting mm-hmm. for those big things that we often think are inspiring or awesome. But you're right, it's the little things that make a difference that we should look out for, the little joys. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about favourite books? Do you have any favourite books? Are you, are you a reader? Uh, look, I'm not going to lie and say I am, um, but uh, there are books that fall off the shelf occasionally and I pick them up and I go, holy shit, this is the best book ever. How come I haven't been getting into books? So when was your last, last, holy shit, this is the best book ever moment then? <laughs> well, the last book that I read, it was called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Mm. Um, so this is a book that's by Dr. Joe Dispenza. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. I have, have heard about him a lot. Yeah, so the tagline of this book, I love it. It's how to lose your mind and create a new one. (laughs) (laughs) And so he really does go and um, and breaks down all the the emotions, the thoughts and the feelings and and he's just on my wavelength and 
I just love how he talks about this chemical soup of neurotransmitters and amino acids and fundamental nutritional building blocks and just the brain being this supercomputer that's interpreting, it's just interpreting all of these biological chem- chemicals. And, you know, the fact that we've got so much knowledge now about how we can enhance and conduct this chemical symphony, it's really actually all in our control when you know how. But you've got to know how and you've got to know the hacks. And sometimes you need to go and talk to someone to, you know, be coached and guided through a process so you can retrain yourself. Um, but there's actually nothing hardwired in there. And that's that that that's just so incredibly exciting, if you ask me. Is he American, Joe? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, or Canadian. And, yeah. And is he mm-hmm. a naturopath? Uh, I think he could be a chiropractor, actually. Oh, a chiropractor, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but don't quote me. <laughs> All right. Well, I have to. I have to Google him again. Uh, mm. How about uh, songs that make you happy? How about how about songs that make you happy? And while somewhere on the topic of the libido, happy and horny, Vashti. Oh, I haven't okay. asked anyone well, that question yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say now the song that makes me happy is one that I've only come across re- recently. But when I've listened to the words, and it's not a new song; it's an old song. When I've listened to the word, it's just completely resonated with everything that I am. And this was a song very romantically that was shared with me with by my husband the other day. Not the other day, but a while back. And I've only remembered again now how beautiful it is. And it's called Unwritten by Natasha Bedingfield. Unwritten. And okay. Yeah, unwritten. Go and look it up. Go and listen okay. to it. My favourite, favourite line in this song is, live your life with arms wide open because today is the day that your book begins. And mm. I just think that's got so much juicy inspiration in it and it's a really sweet, beautiful song. And it makes me happy when I listen to it because awesome. my husband's introduced me to it. Mm. Love it. That's romantic. Train romantic. But how about horny? Has he introduced you yeah. to any horny songs? Or does that, does that one get you horny too? <laughs> one that gets me really horny, crazy horny, is Pony, the genuine oh. horny song. <laughs> but I think lots of people would say the same thing. And it's all about the rhythm. You've yeah. got to have the right rhythm. <laughs> yeah. It's all about the beat, those deeper beats. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Love it. How about your dream collaboration? Do you have one? Have you oh. had it yet? Look, I would love, 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 love to be part of this juicy sex positive event. Um, you know, I don't know if it's happened somewhere and I just haven't been invited or haven't known anything about it, but I just love this amazing event where there's incredible speakers, maybe someone like yourself, Dr. Tash, you know, speaking about all things fertility and funnies <laughs> and, um, you know, relationship experts like Esther Perel, oh, anyone wow, yeah. that, you know, doing anything on self-love and mindfulness, having some really gorgeous luxury adult toys and products. There's mm. some really nice brands out there now doing good things. Yep. Um, but anything that's going to be inspiring conversations around, um, you know, services and people that inspire us to feel healthy and sexy and want to age less, essentially. Yeah. Right? And inject fun into life and mm. vitality. What do a great event. That, well, yeah, that sounds like a great event. That sounds like a sexpo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it sounds like our kind of sexpo. Yeah, I'd say. <laughs> I've been into one sexpo before, and it was a lot of fun actually. I went yeah, all the yeah. way to Melbourne for it, and it uh-huh. was um, it was a lot of fun. Well, it's going to be a long time between sexpos, I think, with <laughs> I all reckon. the COVID stuff know, that's on. So God, we're going to have to do might be an online from thing. now on. Oof. Yeah, yeah. All right. My last question is: mm. top tips for claiming back your mojo. Ah, 
ah, well, I think I think we already talked about that, didn't we? So just, yeah, all that thinking outside the square stuff and blowing dandelions. <laughs> all right, blowing dandelions. But, I but love it's definitely it. planning it, planning it from earlier in the day. And, you know, we chatted a bit about the sexy text messages and the, um, you know, interacting with our partner and doing nice things. And I love love languages. Yeah, Have me too. Gotten into, yep, yeah, got yep. into love languages. Yep. So I say that we can be feeding ourselves our love language. You don't always have to be relying on someone else to be doing it for us and filling in the gaps when we're filling our own love language. So fulfilling our own needs, when we're feeling better because we've done that for ourselves, we won't feel so much like there's something lacking. So, you know, if you're a words person, it's, you know, going and um, writing yourself beautiful affirmations and posting them about the place. Or if you're a gifts person, you know, buying yourself a beautiful something or other that you've seen during the day. Um, what are the other ones? <laughs> yeah, there's five love languages. So there's yeah. the act of service, um, physical, mm. uh, gift giving. Mm. Mm, what are the other two? There's I've, the other I've, two. Yeah, drawing a mind blank, but you know, yeah. like yeah, if you're an, if you're an acts of service person, then you're going to really enjoy when you're doing something. Oh, positive for affirmations, positive words. That's the fourth, mm. and then there's a yeah. fifth one. People will yeah. just have to go and look them up. I can't remember the yep. guy who wrote those books. Was his name Gregory or some something starting with G? But if 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 the listeners are, are keen on on learning about five love languages for mm. um. There's one for adults, then there's one for children, the five love languages of children and um, five love languages for single people, single women. Uh, I remember reading that in an airport in America. I think I was going from Chicago or was in Minneapolis somewhere and somebody said to me, oh, my God, they stopped me and they said, that's one of the best books. That book saved my marriage. Sorry for the bad American accent. But um, it uh, it was a great book to read. And Absolutely. I yeah, strongly recommend people read it. Mm. So Vashti Divine, thank you for some divine advice, especially about the dandelions today. <laughs> My pleasure. Really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Vashti Divine. Share this episode with someone if you think they need a spark added to their plug. Please subscribe to the Fanny Mechanic channel. And if you haven't already, hop over and give the show a fantastic rating. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Dr. Tash Fanny Mechanic, and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, cool people like an interview, or books for us to read and share. Until next time, stay fanny-tabulous.